Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this chapter this morning. What an awesome event, Lord. The, just the most radical thing in all of human history, that a dead man rose again on the third day. And Lord, we know that's only possible because Jesus Christ is God, and he triumphed over sin and death. And Lord, I just pray that as we look at the impact that it had on his followers this morning, the Lord, it would impact each of us in the very same way. Even if we've heard the story a hundred times or if it's our first time, Lord, I pray it would just reach into our hearts and transform our lives. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. We're desperate for you. We pray that you would be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. By way of quick review, I want to catch you up real quick. The last few weeks we've been looking at Jesus' last hours on earth. And we saw beginning a few chapters back that Jesus, again, being God, is totally in control at all times. And we saw from his arrest as he went over the brook Kidron and up into the Garden of Gethsemane, that as the soldiers came to arrest him, this detachment of 600 men, that as they came to arrest him and they were carrying torches at night, coming up a hill, that the Lord saw them coming and he literally allowed them to arrest him. Remember when they said, whom are you seeking? He said, they, he said to him, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said that, he said, I am. And what happened to all the soldiers? They all fell over. Their torches were on the ground. They were burning each other. They were laying on their backs. And we know that if Jesus had wanted to escape, he certainly could have. But he remained because his time had come. His face was set like flint toward the cross. We then saw them take him away and they put him on trial. And when they put him on trial, we talked about this a few weeks ago, who was on trial? It was really Pilate, not the Savior. You know, Jesus, again, was headed toward the cross and Pilate at first did not want to have anything to do with Jesus. He tried to wash his hands of him and send him to Herod, but Jesus was brought back. And we talked about the fact that every one of us has to make a decision about Jesus Christ. We cannot wash our hands of him. We cannot ignore him. We cannot pretend like he doesn't exist. We cannot pass him on to somebody else. Every one of us must make a decision about Jesus Christ. Well, eventually, out of just falling to peer pressure, Pilate Again, this man that so many people portray as being someone who was, who was easygoing and, and just uh, an innocent bystander made the decision to give Jesus up to be crucified. He bowed to the pressure of the world rather than, than the, the word he had heard from the Lord, the character he had seen in Jesus. And so he delivered him first to be scourged. And, and again, I'm not going to take as much detail as I have in past weeks, but just to set the story, we know that scourging brought people near death. We know they took a a thong and, and a whip with 13 thongs on it, and it had bone and metal and a lead ball at the end, and they would begin to whip them. And, and on the very first one, it would grab a hold and begin to ri- just rip open their flesh, and by the eighth or ninth lash, you would be able to see their eternal organs. And our, our Savior had 40 lashes, 39 lashes, 40 lashes minus one. And he was left in a bloody heap. He was totally defenseless, tied around a pole. They then picked him up, and his claim had been that he was the king of the Jews, so they began to mock our Savior, and they, they put a robe upon him. We know they took a crown of thorns, and thorns came into, the, into existence in Genesis because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And thorns, being a representation of sin, were crushed upon our Savior's head. And then they carried him out and said, Behold the man. And again, Pilate, in his way of, of trying to get out of it, brought Barabbas forward, and the people cried out and said, Give us Barabbas, not Jesus. Release the the murderer, release the robber, but send this innocent, loving man to his death. Jesus died in Barabbas' place, much as he died in our place. Then last week, we looked at the crucifixion itself. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to get the tape. 
But I'll tell you, the crucifixion is one of the most brutal things that you will ever see. And as we know from the crucifixion, it was, it was cruelty personified. That the cross was a way of the Romans torturing somebody for as long as possible in killing them. And our Savior submitted Himself to the cross. And as He was walking to the cross, having been scourged, having been beaten, having been mocked, that He fell under the weight of the cross. And as we saw last week, Simon of Cyrene, a, a man who had come into town for the Passover, a man who came in looking for religion, that he was tapped on the shoulder by a Roman soldier and he was caused to pick up the cross. And the reason for that is that a cross is a representation of guilt. And Jesus Christ was not guilty. And Simon is a picture again of us. The cross belongs to us. The cross should have been on our shoulders, not on our Savior's. So then we saw that as he went to the cross that he, again, get the tape from last week, we saw just the brutal death that our Savior died. We saw how the, the, it went pitch black for three hours as our Savior, as the, God the Father separated himself from God the Son and the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. We saw again how the, the nails had been put into his hands and feet and his, his raw body was placed against that wood and they dropped him into a hole. And as he hung on that cross, every breath he took would be taking that raw flesh on his back and rubbing it back and forth against that hard wooden cross. But it's been said that Jesus did not, was not held on the cross by the nails, but he was held on the cross by his love for us. Amen? Because just as he said, I am, and knocked everybody down, he could have certainly called a legion of angels out of the sky. He certainly could have spoken a word and, and removed himself from the cross and wiped out the enemy. And as Jesus was being crucified, the soldiers were gambling for his clothes, again, fulfilling prophecy. We saw that repeated fulfillment of prophecy as Jesus hung on the cross. And so Jesus hung there, and eventually we saw that he cried out and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The price has been paid. And we talked about last week that that's the same term that was used by a merchant when, when somebody would come that owed him a debt, and he had paid it back in full. He would take and he would stamp it, Tetelestai, paid in full. When an artist was draw, making a painting on their last stroke, they would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. When somebody wrote a novel and got to the last word, they would say, Tetelestai, it is finished. And the reason that's significant for us today is that Jesus said, it is finished, which means the price was paid in full. Amen? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad it's not Jesus plus 47 other steps to have salvation? It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? Jesus Christ did all of the work. If we could be good enough on our own, He would not have had to die on the cross. But it is finished. And praise God for that. And then we saw that these two undercover Christians, this is how we ended it last week, Joseph and Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3? You know, the first episode of Nick at Night. He came to Jesus by night. And when he came to Him by night, he, he was undercover religious man of the day, and he asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, keep being a real religious guy. Keep wearing the black robes and just, just be really good. No, he said, you must be born again. Amen? And you might be here today and you might think you're a really good person, but compared to Jesus Christ, you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's better. Now, we see that Joseph and Nicodemus, these guys who I believe up to this point have been undercover Christians, when they saw the reality of the cross, and when they saw what Jesus Christ went through for them, they, they would not be undercover anymore. They said, now it's time for us to stand up for him, just as he hung on a cross for us. And they went and they claimed his body, which would defile them as they were headed towards Sabbath, and they brought him and they buried him in, in a tomb that was owned by Joseph, in a rich man's tomb. 
Now what's awesome to me is that we should learn from that example. That as we look at the reality of what Christ did for us, that it should cause us to be just as bold as Nicodemus and Joseph. Amen? That we too should step up for him and not be ashamed of him. So we ended last week there. We're going to pick up in chapter 20. And at this point, Jesus is in the tomb. The Sabbath has come. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen? And at this point, from the world's perspective, it's like our Savior's been defeated. From the perspective of many. And so at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that, that it's interesting that this is a biography of Jesus' life. That's what the Gospels are. Gospel means good news. Now, any other biography you read, where does it end? When the guy dies. That's it. And if this were the biography of any other man, chapter 19 would be the end of John. He would be a martyr, he would die, and that would be the end of the story. But in all four Gospels, they do not end with our Savior's death, praise God. Amen? He did not just stay in that tomb. Those of you who go to Israel with us in March, you will be able to step into the very tomb where Jesus laid, and you're going to find out that he's not there. You know it already, but you're going to see with your own eyes that he's risen, and he's not there anymore. And so we're going to move on and look again at all four of these Gospels, how death was not the, be, not the end, but it truly is a beginning of a greater life. I also want to say this before we look at the text, that those of you here on Wednesdays in Leviticus, who remembers what did the, the high priest wear on the Day of Atonement? What did he wear? He wore linen. He took off his priestly robes and he put on white linen, a picture of humanity and humility. And he was clothed in linen as he went behind the veil. And as he went behind the veil and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, the people would be standing on the outside because when he would emerge in the linen clothing, they would know that their sins had been forgiven, that they'd been atoned for for yet another year. And it's interesting that when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in what? Linen. And as Jesus was put in the tomb, he was wrapped in linen because Jesus is the great high priest. And just as they would wait behind the veil and when he would come out from the holy place, they would see that their sins were forgiven and they would rejoice. So too, our Savior has gone in wrapped in linen. And now we're looking to see if he's going to come back out of the tomb because when he does, we'll know that we've been forgiven. Amen? The same thing we saw there in Leviticus. So let's take a look beginning in verse 1. And I want to say this, what's happened between the end of last chapter and this chapter, if you look at all the Gospels, is that many things have happened. First of all, the Jews went and they told the, the, the religious leaders, they told the Romans, excuse me, and said, hey, he said on the third day he was going to raise from the dead, so we need you to get some soldiers down there and seal the tomb to make sure that he doesn't get out. We need to put a, put a big rock in front of there to keep the creator of the universe in the ground, right? And we need to, we need to get a couple of yoked guards and have them sit out front and make sure that, that he doesn't come out and make sure his guys don't come and steal the body away. But we know at the same time, where have his apostles gone? What are they doing? They're all hiding. They ran away in fear. So they're hiding. The Jews are rejoicing. And Satan thinks he's won a victory, doesn't he? He's the one that thinks, oh, I finally got Jesus. I've got him. He's dead. I can rule and reign on this earth. And we're going to find out that that certainly is not the end of the story. So let's begin, and we're going to see how it impacted the lives of his followers and how it should impact us to know that he truly is a risen and living Savior. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, 
Mary Magdalene, on the first day of the week, first day of the week would be what? Sunday morning. Why do we meet on Sunday morning? Because of the resurrection. Now, you can meet any day you want. Some churches have church on Saturday night. We have church on Wednesday. Every day is the Lord's Day. But the reason that the first century church met on the first day of the week is because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. And so we see here on the first day of the week, early Sunday morning, as soon as Passover has passed, at the earliest possible moment that she could go down to the tomb and not be defiled, we see Mary running to the tomb. Now, one of the things I love about Mary is Mary was one of the last ones at the cross, and she's one of the first ones at the tomb. Can we see how much she loves our Savior? The apostles are hiding. They don't go to the cross outside of John, right? The rest of them are in hiding. Peter's gone away and wept bitterly because he betrayed the Savior. And we see Mary, this, this woman who had had seven demons cast out of her by the Lord, who had a great love for the Lord, that as soon as the earliest possible moment could come, she was down there at the tomb desiring to, to minister to our Savior. Now what's interesting is that she goes, and if you look at her text, she comes bringing something with her. Who knows what she brought? Spices. And you know what? When you bring spices, are you bringing spices to celebrate the resurrection? You're bringing spices to anoint a dead man. And the interesting part is that praise God that Mary went, but Mary didn't, still didn't fully get it because she thought she was going to anoint a dead man. Joseph and Nicodemus had been rushed in. They're putting the Savior into the tomb. And as she went, she brought these spices with her. And we know from other gospel accounts, she had two other women with her. And they were saying, who's going to roll away the stone? It's going to be too heavy. But when she gets there, she sees that the stone has already been rolled away. It says in Proverbs 8, I love those who love me, and they that seek me early will find me. Where's, where's Mary early Sunday morning? She's at the tomb. How are your morning devotions going, you guys? The Lord blesses those who seek Him early in the morning. The apostles were in hiding, and Mary was down at the tomb, bright and early. And guess who the Lord's going to appear to first? Not the apostles hiding, but Mary seeking early in the morning. You want God to show up and minister to you? You want Him to transform and touch your life? You want your day to start off in the right direction? Get up and begin with Him. Amen? God will bless you, I promise you. He blesses those and He loves those who seek Him early. So the tomb, so the, she said the the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And by the way, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Amen? The stone was rolled away so that the people could see in. He's the creator of the universe. He doesn't need stones rolled away. Amen? He's God. But the stone was rolled away so that the people would know that something was up. The stone had been moved. And you see in other gospel accounts, angels showed up and the, the, uh, the guards fell over like dead men when they saw them. Verse 2. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. Now when you look in Luke's account, It says, the angels appear to her before she runs to Peter. It says to her, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day raised again. They told her point blank, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not dead. He's risen. Remember how he told you he was risen. Now, praise God for Mary's faith to show up early in the morning, but when she runs away, what does she say? She says, they 
have taken him away. What did they just tell her? Nobody took him away. He had risen from the dead. And sadly, there's too many people today that still look at our Savior as a dead man. By the way, just as a way of encouragement to you, if you've got Jesus in your house hanging on a cross, He's not there anymore. Amen? He's a risen and living Savior. And too often we look at Jesus as a martyr, though He did suffer and die that we might have eternal life, but it's not pity for our Savior that brings salvation. It's a realization of what the cross did, and then on the third day He rose from the dead, and that He triumphed over sin and death. Amen? And instead of looking back on Him like a martyr, like Stephen or something, we look back and say, look what He did for us, and He's not on the cross anymore. And sadly, Mary is kind of looking at Him in that way, like He's a dead man. And she's coming down to anoint her dead Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. He's risen. And he's living. Luke's account again spoke that she told the eleven, but they did not believe her words. She ran and told them. They told me. This is what they told me, and they didn't believe. They refused to believe. These eleven guys cowering and hiding. Verse 3. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Who's the other disciple? John. It's interesting that John makes note that he's faster than Peter. But he does. Now we know from from Bible history that John was the youngest, more than likely, of all the disciples. Matter of fact, when he was called, he was probably like 18 or 19 years old. And at this point, he's probably like 20, 21, young guy. And at the same time, we know from, again, from Bible history that he is, that Peter was probably the oldest of them all. And so, so John runs, but John gets there first, but John, as we're going to see, does not go in. But I want to say this. Remember how Peter had left our Savior the last time he saw him. He looked across the courtyard. He was warming himself at the enemy's fire. Someone said, you're one of his followers. And he cursed and said, I don't know him. And at that moment, it was his third time, the rooster crowed, And he looked across the courtyard, and he met the eyes of Jesus Christ. And when he met his eyes, it says he went away and he wept bitterly. And can you imagine what those three days must have been like for Peter? Peter, this one who was bold, I'll die for you, Lord, in his own strength. And he found out in his own strength that he could do nothing. And what happened was he went away, and for three days he's been weeping bitterly. And we know from Mark's account that when the the word came back to to the apostles, he said, go tell my disciples and especially Peter, that I have risen. You'll find that in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Go tell the disciples, and especially Peter, that I've risen. So when they came back and she said, hey, you know, he's not in the tomb anymore. Go tell my disciples, and especially Peter, that I've risen. Can you imagine how Peter's heart must have leapt? Can you imagine those three days of weeping and thinking it's over, and I, I betrayed my master, and he died, and I didn't stand up for him. And, oh, I can't, you know, just to the point of, just beyond being to the end of yourself and now the word comes back go tell my disciples and especially peter that i've risen what a blessing to see the love of our savior put yourself again in peter's shoes he's weeping he's broken then the word comes to him he can it be true could it really be true that he's not there anymore could it be true did someone take his body away maybe he's not dead and he ran to the tomb and when he ran there look what happens in verse 5 the verse 5 says, And he stooping down, that's John, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. Now it's interesting, again, 
that John shows up, and the word there for saw is to glance or to look in. But when Peter got there, what did he do? He went into the tomb. John stood at a distance and watched, and Peter, still being the bold guy that he is deep down, ran into the tomb. Why? Because he was so desperate to get back to the Savior. He'd had those three days away from him. He had denied him, and now was an opportunity in his heart to, what's happened with my Lord? And he ran in, and he drew close, and he carefully examined the linen cloth, and the linen cloths were lying there. Look at verse 7. And the handkerchief that had been around his head was not lying there with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Jesus was no longer in his bandages. And it's interesting that they were lying there. They were not unraveled because someone came and unraveled them from the outside. Jesus passed through them from the inside. Amen? It's also proof that the body was not stolen because nobody would unravel the body and steal it. They're not going to take the, the dressing off a dead person's body and steal it. We know it wasn't anyway because of what's going to happen in the rest of this chapter, but that's one of the things that people say, and we know it's not true. But we see here that they come in, and the, the linen's laying there. Can you imagine what Peter must have thought? Now, where's Jesus? His clothes are here. The cloth that he was wrapped in is here, but he's not here. What has happened to my Savior? The napkin was folded. I like that detail. It just tells me that our Lord was not in a hurry. Right? He's, he gets up out of the grave clothes. He folds up the napkin and puts it down. He wasn't running out of there. He, wasn't, he didn't just wake up. Oh, he didn't really die. And he woke up and was trying to get away. First of all, if he had really died and he had woken up or almost died and woken up and had been scourged, he wouldn't be rolling any stones away if he was a mere man. Amen? But he's God. And he rose from the dead. And he had triumphed over sin and death. And the stone was rolled away. Again, Jesus not in a hurry. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. The word therefore saw there means to perceive or to understand. So first they were glancing, then they were examining, then they were understanding. But what's interesting to me is I don't know for sure what this means. Because he understood, but he understood what? It may be that he just simply understood that Jesus wasn't there anymore. Because if he understood that he had risen from the dead, I think he'd be reacting a little different. I don't think he'd be running back and hiding anymore. But that's exactly what these guys do. They return back to their home. They return back into hiding. And they don't stand up for the Lord. Again, they believe based on what they had seen of the physical. Verse 9. For as they had yet did not know the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't know the Scripture that He would rise again from the dead. It says in the Old Testament in Psalm 16, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. They had the Old Testament Scriptures, and Jesus had told them many, 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 many times that He was going to die, He was going to be crucified, and three days later, He was going to raise from the dead. If these guys had been listening, they should have been having a tailgate party at the tomb. Amen? They should have been out there cooking. Well, try to, not yet. Rice, kill, and eats later. But they should, have been, they should have been sitting there going, it's almost Sunday. It's going to be great. We've got to get, I want to get, I want to sit in the front. It's going to be the most awesome thing ever. Remember he told us three days later, 
This is awesome. And what are they doing? They're hiding. They didn't understand the scripture yet. And you know what? This pierced my heart as I was studying this this week. You know, we read that, that Jesus is coming back. Is Jesus Christ coming back for his church? Amen? Do we live like it? These guys had heard that on the third day he was going to raise from the dead, but they were not living like it. Oh yeah, they heard it. But they they were not down at the tomb waiting on the third day for his resurrection. Instead, they were hiding because they didn't really believe that he was going to raise from the dead. If they believed it, they would have been at the tomb. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, should it not impact the way that we live every single day? Amen? Shouldn't it impact the way that we share our faith with our coworkers? Shouldn't it impact the, the passion that we have and the things that we desire in life? If we truly believe that he's coming back, may we not fall into the same trap that the, the apostles did, hiding and waiting and not knowing what to do and what's next and in tears and in agony and, in, and, and suffering. If they knew he was going to rise, they should have been celebrating. And the fact that we know that Jesus Christ is coming back, it should give us an eternal perspective 24-7. Amen? It should make us realize, hey, all this is passing away. Only thing that matters is what's eternal. And my Savior's coming back to get me. Dave, you've got cancer. It's okay. My Savior's coming back to get me. And if I die now, I'm going to be in His presence anyway. So it's okay. Dave, we're going to have to lay you off from work. You know what? My Savior's coming back to get me. And it doesn't really matter because He's faithful. And He's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, a provider. And my eyes are focused on heaven. So it doesn't matter. Eternal perspective takes away the suffering and the, and the, the anguish of this life. Amen? And these guys didn't get it. They'd walk with the Lord. These are the apostles. It blows my mind. But they missed it. Not the B apostles, the apostles. And they did not know. Verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So they saw that he wasn't there anymore. Instead of thinking, didn't he tell us about 12 times he was going to raise from the dead? These guys went home. They're still afraid. They're still hiding from the Jews instead of making a stand for our Savior. Look at verse 11. But Mary, I love that, but Mary. Have you, women, let me encourage you with something. Do you ever see women in the New Testament that are enemies of Jesus? Do you? Let me ask you. How many women do you see in the New Testament that are enemies of Jesus? Very few, if any. Where are the women always at? Jesus' feet, anointing His feet, loving the Savior. What are the guys doing? Trying to make it happen on their own. Isn't it true? I can do it. Nothing's changed, has it, women? Right? But the women, you see that, the guys are going away and they're hiding, but Mary. Where's Mary? Look what it says. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Others had gone home, but Mary's devotion led her to stay. Last one at the, at the cross, first one at the tomb, lingers longest at the tomb. Is it any wonder why Jesus appeared to her first? Why? Because she was seeking Him with her whole heart. She still didn't fully get it. She still thought she was looking for a dead man. But she looked into the tomb and she saw that His body was no longer there. Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting on one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now again, if you've been here during our Old Testament study, this is a perfect picture of what? The Ark of the Covenant. When you look at the Ark, on top is the mercy seat where the blood of the uh, sacrifices were sprinkled. What was at the foot and the head of the Ark on the mercy seat? An angel. 
She comes in and looks, and what did she see? An angel at the foot, an angel at the head, the linen cloth in the middle, blood stained, no doubt. So you've got the blood on, in the center and the angels on each side, and that's exactly what you would have seen in the Holy of Holies when the priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. A picture of the tomb. A picture of what Jesus was going to do many hundreds of years later. And so she looks in and she sees the angels sitting there, that perfect picture of the ark. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Does she think he's alive? Does she think he's risen? Has she heard his words? No. But you know what I love about our Savior? Is he's so gracious He looks at her heart and sees that she's seeking him. She doesn't fully get it. She hadn't been around when he taught the way he taught the apostles. And she's just there saying, I want to be near where my Savior is. I don't care if someone wants to arrest me. I'm not worried about defiling myself. I just want to be where he is. And she's weeping because she's saying, I was once demon-possessed, and then he touched me, and I was a new creation. And I need to be near him. Man, don't we need more people like that in the church today? Amen? I was once a sinner, headed for hell, separated from God, and then Jesus touched me. And now all I want to do is be near him. Amen? I want to draw close to him. And so she's weeping, and I do not know where they have laid him. And now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know, and did not know it was Jesus. Now it's interesting. She turns around, and Jesus is standing there. And whenever I read something in the Bible that Mary turned around, I always wonder, why did she turn around? Because Jesus has not spoken yet. Could it be that the angels stood up? Could it be that they were sitting there, and that the presence of the Master, the Creator of the universe, Almighty God, that when Jesus was behind, they stood to reverence Him? Could it be that she heard a noise in the background or just the faces of the angels as Jesus appeared behind him? No doubt it had to impact them, amen? Because they are worshipers of him, created to worship the Lord. And so she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she did not know it was him. Now why didn't she know? She didn't know because, maybe because the tears in her eyes. That she was weeping so heavily that when Jesus was standing there, she just saw a figure in front of her and didn't know who it was. I want to say a couple things about Mary. First of all, Mary saw angels. Did she get all excited about seeing these angels? Did she write a book on, I saw some angels? They got them at the Christian bookstore, right? I saw angels, right? And you know what? People are chasing angels. Mary didn't care about the angels because she was looking for Jesus. Amen? Angels were irrelevant. I'm looking for the Savior. You're not Him. Amen? And too often we're looking for this, you know, oh, I saw this thing and there's there's this you know, the silhouette, let's go down and worship the silhouette that's in this window, and people are looking for idols and angels and everything else, we need to be looking for Jesus, amen, he's the savior, he's the one that's trying, angels didn't pay for your sin, angels cannot forgive your sin, angels can't do anything that God doesn't allow them to do, we need to be looking for Jesus, and so the angels were there, and she, that didn't mean anything, where's Jesus, hey guys, you seen him, because I'm not looking for you, I don't care if you're glowing in the dark, where's Jesus, right, She's looking for the Savior. And so she turns around, and because of the tears in her eyes, more than likely she doesn't recognize him. And I want to encourage you with something. As I was, again, as I was studying this, I thought, are there times when we are weeping over our circumstances, and because of that, we don't see our Savior? 
Look for Jesus in the midst of your circumstances. Don't be weeping so heavily in, in your flesh over the struggles of life that you miss out on seeing Jesus standing right in front of you. When you're going through the difficulty of life, look for the Savior and know He will use it for His glory if you will just let Him. She was weeping because of her tears. She did not recognize Him. He could have concealed His identity, but more than likely it was because she was weeping. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Don't you love the fact that this is exactly the same thing He asked the guys who arrested Him? The crowd that arrested Him, what did Jesus say to him? Whom are you seeking? And when he said that, they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and they wanted to arrest him. She comes, and she's looking for her Savior. Let me ask you a question this morning. Whom are you seeking? Are you looking for Jesus to be your Lord, your Savior, your King? Are you desiring to be closer to him than you ever have been before? Do you want him to rule and reign in your life and be upon the throne? Again, whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, Mary, this is Mary, and she loves Jesus so much, she still thinks he's dead, but she says, tell me where he is, and I'll carry him all by myself. Show me where he is. I'm a a woman, and he was a man, and and he's dead in his body, but I'll carry him. Just tell me where he is, because I want to be near him. She's by herself. Show him to me. I'll take him. And she supposed he was the gardener. find that interesting. In the Garden of Eden, man fell. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw Jesus lay down his life. And now here in the Garden tomb, he raises from the dead. And she supposed him to be the gardener, and she does not recognize him. Whom are you seeking? I'll take him away. I'll do it myself. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. Awesome. Jesus calls her by name. How many of you in this room are born-again Christians have given your life to Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Do you know when you were saved that Jesus called you by name? Amen? Holy Spirit drew you, but it's the Lord who called you. Amen? And there was a day 35 years ago when Jesus said, Dave. I said, Master. Mary, Mary. And she turns around and she says, Rabboni. Greater than Rabbi. Rabboni means my great master. In one split second, Mary's tears became joy. She heard her Savior call her name. And she went from weeping and a place of desperation to a place of rejoicing and joy as she heard her name called by her master. Mary. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's calling you today. He loves you. He's calling you by name. He wants you to know him in an intimate and a personal way. Rabboni, which is to say teacher. It says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Same voice that had cast seven demons out of her body, delivering her from bondage, now spoke her name, and she responded. How many of you can still hear that still small voice as you walk through daily life? Amen? It's the Holy Spirit leading us. Go talk to him about me. You ever heard that before? Share your faith with that guy right over there. Right? Again, I'm busy right now. Right? And the closer we walk with the Lord, the clearer that voice is. But as we break fellowship from God, the further and further away we get from him, the harder and fainter his, his, the voice and conviction of his spirit is in our life. 
But we see here, Mary, Rabboni. And what does she do? She runs over and grabs Jesus. How do we know that? Because look what he says in the next verse. Do not cling to me. He wouldn't say do not cling to me if she's standing 15 feet away. She heard him and Rabboni. And she went over and just grabbed onto Jesus. You know what? I have to tell you something. I'm looking forward to giving Jesus the biggest bear hug ever when I get to heaven. Amen? I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. But what's awesome to me is the Spirit lives inside of me now, but she said, Rabboni! And we see her heart, and she runs, and she grabs, and she just holds on to him. And he says, Mary, don't cling to me. I have not ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And what he's saying is, I'm not back for good. I'm going to be here for 40 more days. Don't, you don't have to be clinging on to me to have fellowship with me because later he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of the living God lives inside of those of us who have given our lives to him. And he's clinging to us. Amen? The Holy Spirit's living inside of us. Let's move on. Do not cling to me. But Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that, that he had spoken these things to her. We know from other gospel accounts, how did they respond? Dim believer. Mary, you're nuts. I'm telling you, I saw him. He called me by... Oh, yeah, right. No, really. I, I saw Jesus. Can you imagine how much animation there must have been in Mary when she was telling him? Do you think she was kind of excited? Look, guys, I'm telling you, I saw him. No, you didn't. Dude, you're hiding up here in the up here. How would you know, right? I mean... But she's getting after these guys, telling them. And isn't it the same frustration we sometimes feel when we're sharing our faith with others? I once was blinded, now I see. Yeah, right, dude. Okay. No, really. The creator of the universe suffered and died that I might have eternal life, and he's transformed. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's good for you. Enjoy it, right? And that's what Mary's dealing with, but these are the apostles who are hiding. So we see her fear has gone to joy. He called her by name. He had done a great work. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. It's Sunday evening. It's the Lord's day. The doors were shut. They were locked and they were afraid that they were going to be next. If they find out we're his followers, they might come get us and we might be on the cross tomorrow. As soon as Passover's over, they're going to come get us. It's the Lord, Passover's over, they're going to come get us. We better hide. They were in fear. They were worried about what the world was going to do to them. And Jesus showed up and said, you bunch of wimps. No, he didn't say that. How come you guys weren't at the cross? Hey, Pete, didn't you say you were going to stand up with me? What's up with that? Thomas, you said you were one to die. You said, come on, let us go to Jerusalem that we might die with him. You guys are all liars. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you blew it, you're worthless. Why am I even talking to you guys right now? I'm getting some new apostles. He came, and what did he say? Peace be with you. The mercy of our God. He doesn't come and lambast them for blowing it. He brings them peace. Aren't you glad that that's the God we serve? That he doesn't put us, you know, on the ground and pound on us when we blow it, but that he loves us and he brings us peace. That's what the Lord does here. He comes and He says, peace be with you. Again, they were in fear. They were anxious. But no matter what their circumstances, they would now have peace. Why? Because He's the Prince of Peace. 
One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Daniel. You guys have heard me say that many times. But when Daniel was in the lion's den, King Darius was in the palace. And King Darius, the Bible says, was up all night long and he was tormented. And Daniel was in the lion's den and what was he doing? He was napping. He had peace in the lion's den because God was with him. Amen? King Darius, richest man on the planet, living in the palace, is up all night and is in total torment. Why? Because you cannot have peace unless you're with the Prince of Peace. And this room that was filled with fear when Jesus showed up, how much fear do you think was left? None. He walked through the door. Another miracle. He's alive. And they see him and he says, peace be with you. Now this is, I think, this verse cracks me up. Because I think this is one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. Look what it says. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Yeah. The word there for glad is hilarious. They were hilarious when they saw the Lord. I don't think you could put the words in this verse that would describe how they must have felt. These guys were afraid of the Jews and cowering, and we're, we're going to be next to Pete. And you, and they know you, man. You're the, and you're, we're dead. They're going to probably kill us all. And then what are you going to, and how long is this going to last? And, and what are we going to do? And oh, he's the Messiah, but he died. How could he die if he's the Messiah? And they're having all these doubts and they're struggling, and then Jesus shows up. Did everything change? Radically. And it says they were glad. Yeah. I'd like to have been in the room. I bet they were like, whoa! He's alive! And they were just running. To, Jesus is here! And everything made sense. And well, he's the, He is the Messiah. And, and, and you know what? We don't have to worry about dying. And you know what? It doesn't matter if we die. Because he's alive and it's true. Isn't that what happens when we put Jesus into our lives? The fear can go away. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. Why are you afraid? Because God's not in control. Why are you worried? Because God's not in control. If God's in control, what do we have to worry about? Nothing. And he shows up, and they were glad. They were were in a party. First Pentecostals right here, right? And these guys were, yeah, right? Jesus is here. And they were excited to see the Savior. Room filled with fears and tears and doubt quickly became hilarious wonder and awe and gladness. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I love this, that here these guys were hiding because they were afraid. And the Lord says, I'm back. Peace be with you. And now I'm going to send you guys out to represent me. These guys were hiding. They were afraid. They were wimps. Duh, right? They're going to get it. Now he says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm going to send you guys out to represent me. I'd be picking a different group. I'd have, I'd have had some auditions or something. You guys are weak. Forget it. You guys can, maybe you can serve some tables, but that's it. I'm not representing me. But that's not the Lord that we serve. Aren't you glad? Doesn't that encourage you to know that you can totally blow it and God still can use you? Doesn't it bless you to know that you can just have been a total disaster and a mess and made all the wrong choices and be cowering in fear from the world and the Lord still wants to use you? He sent, the Father sent him, he's going to send them to represent him. Man's greatest need, forgiveness, and man's greatest fear, death, had all been wrapped up and restored in one fell swoop. And now he's looking at these guys who were cowering in fear, and he's going to use them. What an awesome God we serve. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Lord never calls us to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do. Amen? Could these guys have done it apart from the Holy Spirit? I think we figured that out already. Not working out too well. 
Peter before Pentecost, what kind of guy was he? Real bold, but getting in trouble all the time. Peter after Pentecost led 3,000 souls to, to the Lord in a single day. What happened to Peter? Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. It's the same word back in, in Genesis where God breathed life into Adam. Ruah, right? He, brought the, he breathed the life into Adam, and now he's breathing spiritual life into these spiritually dead men up to this point. He breathes life into them in the Holy Spirit. Now, you know that in Acts, it says the Holy Spirit shall come upon them. I find this interesting that right here, that the, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was given to them. Now, some say it's a foreshadowing of Acts chapter 2. And that's possible. But here's another possibility. It could be that the Bible says what it means, means what it says right here, where he says receive the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the Holy Spirit now, but the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them in Acts chapter uh, 2. Not just with them or in them, but upon them. And then they're just radically bold for God. Some of us, we've received the Holy Spirit, and he's living inside of us, and we know we're going to heaven, but we need to have the Holy Spirit upon us. Amen? Baptized in the Spirit of the living God, that we may be bold for Him and for His kingdom. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, I want to make this real clear, and again, we're almost done. I want to say this. This is not, you know, telling us that we need priests to forgive our sins. Misinterpreted verse. If you look at it in the original language, it's written in a tense that proclaims the forgiveness of people. He's saying, if you say to someone your sins are forgiven, it's because they have been forgiven. If someone comes and repents, I can tell you that your sins are forgiven, but I am not the one forgiving you. If you're here today and you say, I believe that I'm a sinner, I confess that I need Jesus as my Savior, and I ask Him to come into my life, and I mean it from the depths of my heart, I can tell you if you really meant that, your sins are forgiven. I have not forgiven you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Amen? But I can tell you, I can proclaim to you, that you're forgiven. I can proclaim forgiveness, but I cannot provide it. Amen? No man can provide forgiveness. We don't have any boxes here at Calvary Chapel where you go sit in and tell me your sins, and I tell you what you got to do to get right with God. It is finished. Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We confess our sins to Him. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Not providing forgiveness, but proclaiming it. Almost done. Verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. You know what? This is a great verse on what happens when you don't show up to church. (laughs) Pastor Dave's interpretation. But here we go. This is Sunday. All the guys are hanging out together and Jesus shows up. Where's Thomas? Fish? I don't know. Where is he? Had something else better to do on Sunday, right? And the reality is that Jesus showed up and Thomas wasn't there in fellowship and he missed it. You know what? God wants to minister to you in your devotional time. God wants to minister to you when you're driving down the car and you're praying to him. But there's something supernatural that happens when God's people gather together. Amen? God's given you gifts that he wants you to use to minister to others. The Holy Spirit is here. He desires to minister to us. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, and all the more as his, his second as the end approaches, right? As time goes on, we need to be gathering more and more, not less and less. Amen? And so Thomas wasn't there. Can you imagine? Thomas, dude, you have no idea what happened yesterday. You should have been there, man. What were you doing? I was watching a football game. You know? <laughs> He missed it. Look at verse 25. The other disciples never said to him, we've seen the Lord. So he, saw, so he said to them, unless I see his hands, 
the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas, dude, I'm telling you, he showed up. Oh, no, I don't, I ain't, I ain't buying it. I know the Jets beat the Dolphins, but I missed it, right? I mean, they, he missed out on the Savior. He wasn't there. And you know what? It just goes to show you that you cannot bring, you know, to someone else. They need to experience Jesus Christ themselves. That's why I encourage the guys when I'm teaching them how to study the Bible. I say, don't live on commentaries. You know why? Because a commentary is what God told someone else, and then they're telling you. Let the Lord tell you. You don't send friends on a Hawaiian vacation in your place and let them come home and tell you about Hawaii. I mean, not quite the same as going yourself. Amen? And the same is true that we want to experience the presence of God ourselves. And Thomas is like, oh, I ain't buying it. I don't, and I want to put my hand in the nail prints. You know what this tells me? Did they know exactly what happened to our Savior? They knew. They knew there had been nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a spear in his side. For three days, this was the only topic of conversation in Jerusalem. On the road to Emmaus, as they're walking along, and Jesus shows up to the disciples, and he's talking to them. He he says to them, what are you guys talking about? They said, don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? It'd be like saying, who's Saddam Hussein? Who's that? What's been going on in Jerusalem? Don't you know? The only topic of conversation was Jesus Christ. The earthquake, the veil had been torn. It was what everybody was talking about. And Thomas knew what our Savior had been through. Verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with him. He showed up to church this week. The following Sunday, where's Thomas? I'm showing up this time. They're gathering together. I'm hanging out. I'm going to be here, right? I want to see God move in a mighty and a powerful way. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Man, there's some great stuff in this right here. What do we see? First of all, when Thomas was doubting, who was listening? Jesus. Do you know that he hears everything? Do you know that he knows your thoughts? And so when you're doubting, he's listening. And he showed up and said, hey, Thomas, remember last week you were doubting? I'm here. Come on over here. Put your hand right here. Put your hand right here. Don't doubt anymore. Don't be unbelieving. I'm right in front of you. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. He proclaims Jesus Christ to be God. You know, when the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, everybody shows up at your door and says, Jesus never claimed to be God. Here's another of hundreds of verses you can take them to. Because every other time that someone, when they said, My Lord and my God to Peter, what did he do? When they proclaimed to be deity, he said, Get up, don't worship me. When they, when they proclaim deity to Paul and Barnabas, what do they do? Get up! Don't worship me. When they proclaim deity to the angels, what do the angels do? Don't, don't worship me. What does Jesus do? He just receives it. Why? Because he can. Because he is my Lord. And he is my God. Yet another proof, again, of his deity. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's he talking about here? You. Blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Amen? He's risen. Blessed are you. Oh, how happy are you. Verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose for John's gospel. 
that you may believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. There is only life in one name. Amen? You've heard it before. I'm going to close it anyway. Buddha, dead. Hare Krishna, dead. Joseph Smith, dead. Mary Baker Eddy, dead. Charles Taze Russell, dead. The founder, L. Ron Hubbard, Dianetics, dead. We can go dig up their bones. They're dead guys. People are serving dead guys. Jesus Christ, a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. Why would you try to find life in a dead man? Amen? Pastor Dave, that's so narrow to say that Buddha is not another way. Did Buddha die on the cross for your sins? Is Buddha the creator of the universe? Is he the Alpha and the Omega? Well, maybe he's the God. No, he's not the God for anybody. He's a sinner in need of a Savior just like everyone else. Amen? It's Jesus Christ alone. He's the only way. He's the only truth. Some, I've had people downtown tell me they're the Messiah, but I'm not believing it. Dude, raise from the dead after three days, then come talk to me. Right? Until then, we know that we can trust that Jesus Christ is God because He is a risen and He is a living Savior. Death of Christ was the beginning and not the end. It turned joy, I mean, it turned tears into joy. It turned doubt into courage. Amen? It turned fear into faith. All that happened, why? Because they met Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, you're having a difficult time in your life right now, Jesus wants to touch you and transform your life. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, he loves you and he says, to tell us it is finished. And he would call you by name this morning. He'd say your name, Mary. He just wants you to say, Master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are a risen and living Savior. We thank you we don't serve an old dead religion. We thank you we don't serve the New Age movement, which is nothing new but just the same old cult all over again. We thank you, Lord, that you died for us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us by name. We thank you, Lord, that in our frailties, just like the disciples, you desire to send us out and to use us for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, I just pray this morning, if there's even one person here that doesn't know you, that Lord, they would hear you calling them by name this morning. That in the power of your Holy Spirit, as you draw them unto yourself, that they would see their need for you, and they would confess you as Lord this morning. They would not leave here without you. That it would truly be finished for them as well. That their sin would be paid for. Just real quickly, if, if you don't know the Lord and you're here, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. All you have to say is, yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. He's calling you by name. Will you respond to Him? If you're here and you want to give your life to Him, you want to know for sure that you've been born again, I just want you to do something real simple. Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you, and you can know for sure you've been saved. Is there anybody here at all? Just raise your hand and say, I'm a sinner. I want to know for sure that I'm born again. Anybody. So, Lord, we do thank you and we praise you. And help us that do know you, Lord. Help us to, to have, be bold, Father God, for you. But we can only do that in the power of your spirit. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you that we gather today on this Lord's Day to celebrate your resurrection. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.